Hello, everyone, and welcome to His Health, the show where we'll be tackling the health issues that are most important to men. I'm your host, Rick Malambri, and we're going inside the topics that men of all ages need to know and taking you out of the comfort zone when it comes to those health issues that men don't normally like to discuss. So let's jump right into it. Today, we have Dr. James Kwan back with us. Dr. Kwan is a urologist with Swedish Medical Center in Seattle, Washington. He's board certified with the American Board of Urology and a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons of Canada. He also has a practice focused on men's health and male sexual dysfunction. The His Health Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Providence and Boston Scientific. Now, remember, everyone, many of our questions come from our listeners on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. Before we start today, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Dr. Kwan, it's a pleasure to have you back here with us this week. Now, for some of our viewers who may not have had a chance to listen to last week's episode, can you give us a brief description about yourself and what you do? Yeah, thank you for having me back. Um, I'm a urologist and I work at Swedish Medical Center in Seattle. And uh, I have a practice that is focused on men's health, uh, specifically things like sexual dysfunction, erectile dysfunction, um, and, and surgically that encompasses things like uh, surgery for erectile dysfunction, penile prosthesis, and then also things like management for incontinence after treatment for, for prostate cancer, low testosterone, conditions uh, like Peyronie's disease. Um, and, and, and amongst that, I also do some, some, some general urology. Gotcha. Well, thank you. Uh, we do actually have quite a big discussion this week um, on his health. Can you tell us a little bit exactly what erectile dysfunction is and maybe... Maybe we can squash a little bit of the stigma behind it by explaining just how common it actually is. Well, it's very common. In fact, about 30 million men will suffer from ED. And simply put, it's the persistent inability uh, to get an erection that is sufficient for satisfactory sexual activity. And, and that means it's not a one-time event. It's, it's really an ongoing pattern of difficulty getting and or maintaining an erection. Mm -hmm. And is there a typical or average age that you see men start to experience erectile dysfunction? Typically, we think of older guys over the age of 50, um, at which point half of men will have experienced some degree of ED. But as many as 20% of men in their 20s will have some erectile dysfunction. And every 10 years, that number goes up. So 30% of men in their 30s and then 70% of men in their 70s. And that's because of age, what I call the march of life, mm -hmm. and then the accumulation of the risk factors that, that occur as we age. Ah, well, can you explain what some of those common risk factors are for ED? As well yeah. as- Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. As well as which men have the highest risk of experiencing it? Yeah, I, I, before I do that, I think briefly understanding what happens to get a good erection is helpful because those are the places where erectile dysfunction happens because it, when it fails, you know, when, we, when our brain gets turned on and we stimulate the penis, uh, a, a nerve signal uh, triggers the blood vessels in the penis essentially to dilate and open up. And that causes the floodgates to open 
and the spongy tissue, which is inside the penile cylinders, gets flooded with blood, and the penis starts to become firm. There's a critical point when the penis then traps the blood, and that's what makes the, the erection rigid. And so all of that, in addition to requiring uh, a healthy hormone level and a healthy nervous system, um, also requires, most importantly, a healthy vascular system. So generally speaking, the average guy, not necessarily the guy who had treatment for his prostate cancer, the average guy will develop erection problems as a result of the things that put him at risk for the exact same things that cause heart attack or stroke. Things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, vascular disease, smoking, obesity, history of heart disease, the things we talked about screening last week. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I often say that erectile dysfunction is essentially a canary in the coal mine because when men come to us, they're often seemingly healthy, but if they have erectile dysfunction, sometimes this is a precursor uh, for things like stroke or heart attack because the same clogging of the arteries in the heart and the brain is actually happening sooner in the penis because those blood vessels are much smaller. Yeah. Um, diabetes is a particularly important thing to point out because it is actually one of the more significant risk factors because it, it affects both the nerves and the blood vessels. And in fact, diabetic men are going to experience erections 10 years earlier than the average non-diabetic man. And they're actually harder for us to treat. Um, I've alluded to things like treatment for prostate cancer, men who've had radiation for things like colon cancer or large colon surgeries, excessive drug and alcohol use are also risk factors, mental health disorders and depression, uh, the medications we use for them and medications for other conditions, and then low testosterone uh, tend to be the common things that we see. Interesting. So what do you suggest a man should do if he starts experiencing frequent ED? Well, first of all, I will say it will feel like a crisis to him, but it, it's certainly not an emergency. And first thing he needs to do is, is sort of take a deep breath and understand that there are solutions. Um, and, and we understand that this is embarrassing for him and his partner, and it can be a source of frustration. And, and so on a practical note, I think that there are things like addressing stress and poor sleep, because sometimes these can affect uh, erections on a short-term basis. Um, but I would still consider uh, it important for him to see a doctor to take a better look at the problem, because 90% of erections are, are physical and 10% are, are, are psychological in terms of erectile dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Well, that's definitely some great insight. Uh, you briefly touched on treatments for ED, but let's talk a little bit more about the other side of the coin here for a moment. What what are some medications and treatments out there that can actually cause ED? Yeah, a lot of the common medications that people will take for their blood pressure, so the antihypertensives are, are common medications, antidepressants. Um, though these more commonly cause issues with orgasm, they can also cause issues with erectile dysfunction. Uh, many of the medications that we use to treat prostate cancer uh, are drugs that block testosterone, testosterone being the male hormone uh, that's important in stimulating libido and a part of erections. Uh, there's a group of drugs called 5-alpha reductase inhibitors 
um, finasteride and dutasteride. And as urologists, we prescribe these medications to help shrink the prostate when it enlarges. Okay. And, and sexual side effects uh, occur in about 10 to 15% of men using these medications. Mm. Similarly, um, a group of medications called alpha blockers used for prostate enlargement. Again, more commonly, they cause uh, orgasm issues, but some men will report issues with ejaculation because it can affect blood pressure. Gotcha. Um, men who use opioid pain medications uh, can commonly have issues with erectile dysfunction. And, and similarly, men who use tranquilizer medications called benzodiazepines like Ativan or Valium may also experience issues. Mm. I can only imagine the emotional stress that ED can have on one's mind. In your professional observation, do you find that erectile dysfunction has quite the mental impact on men that experience it? Absolutely. You know, it can be devastating for some. And um, meanwhile, others will see it as an opportunity for improvement in, in, in their own quality of life and lifestyle. You know, I always remind myself that when a man is sitting in front of me in my office or he's picked up the phone and he's talking to my office staff to make an appointment. One of two things has happened. Either something happened very recently and acutely, and he's panicked and he's struggled, he's panicked and, and, and this is that emergency or that crisis, or he's struggled for a while and he's finally decided to get help. Mm -hmm. and, and, and both of those are tough situations. And, and in both of those situations, it's important that, that we are there to address them. Yeah. You know, shame, depression, withdrawal from relationships are all things that I've seen, um, poor self-esteem. And these are all secondary effects of, of erectile dysfunction, short term or long term. Um, but I will say we, we do see the flip side as well. Um, it's, a, it, it's not uncommon, especially in diabetic men uh, or men who are overweight and diabetic that once we can improve their sexual function, they actually feel better about themselves and they mm -hmm. begin to make better lifestyle choices um, and their overall health improves. And so, so there is a benefit to treating and, and, and that's why I think it's important. And, and, and I always remind myself too that the World Health Organization identifies our sexual health as a very important aspect of our being. And, and I completely agree with that. 100%. Let's talk about treatments for a little bit. What's the first thing you typically recommend a patient who's experiencing ED? What, what do you, uh, do you ever recommend something natural before going into a clinical treatment, like maybe vitamins or meditation or diet, something like that? Um, for sure. I, I think that lifestyle modification is, is one of the, the few things that we can offer that actually works to prevent further erectile dysfunction. And, and, and so what that means is essentially adopting a more, a more heart-healthy uh, way of life. So the things that your internist or cardiologist are suggesting, exercise, better sleep, better, better stress management, addressing sleep apnea, decreasing salt intake, controlling cholesterol, weight loss, quit smoking. Mm -hmm. um, these are things that will help you in the bedroom as well. Um, as for meditation, there is an emerging data set that is suggesting that that can also be helpful. When we're in our heads, our erections don't always work as well. Yeah. In terms of vitamins, I'm not opposed to men using them. However, in my own practice, it's hard pressed for me to make a medical recommendation. Um, 
not because I don't think they work for some people, but mm-hmm. I don't think we know as much about them and to which degree they can be helpful. Yeah. And then there's this whole world of supplements with a very long list of things like maca and ginkgo and ashwagandha, tribulus, horny goatweed, arginine, zinc, DHEA, and the list goes on. Um, and for many of these things, the jury is out. I have many men that tell me they work and others that say they are a waste of money. Um, treat them like a pharmaceutical, anything that we might prescribe. Keep t- keep track of your response and side effects and make the decision yourself. Yeah. Well, can we break down some of the clinical treatment options available for ED? Can you give us a brief example or uh, overview of what these options look like? Mm-hmm. It's important, you know, when we think about treatment for ED to understand what the ideal treatment would be. And and what that is, is it's a treatment that works on demand when we want it without side effects so that we can tolerate it, that causes an erection that's hard, that stays with us so it's durable, and then it goes down when we're finished so that we can go to work or that we can go to sleep and, and that there's no problem. Uh, with a, a, an erection that lasts too long. Mm-hmm. Um, oral medications, in, ni- in the late 90s, we got Viagra, and that really revolutionized how, how we manage erectile dysfunction. You know, the late night talk shows, Johnny Carson and Jay Leno really brought this to our living rooms, and, and, and that revolution uh, allowed us to better understand erectile dysfunction and then allowed men to present to their docs. And so it has become the workhorse and the mainstay of, of treatment. And, and this is where most men will start. Um, presently, we have four medications that we will commonly prescribe. Two of them are generic. Um, the medications are sildenafil, which is Viagra, Tadalafil, which is Cialis, Vardenafil, which is Levitra, and Avanafil, which is Stendra. And essentially what these are doing is addressing that dilation part of, of, of the erection, allowing more blood to flow into the penis and allowing that part of the erection to last longer. Men have to understand, they have to be in the mood. You can't take this and do your taxes, nothing will happen. You have right. to stimulate the penis uh, for this to work. And, and so we recommend you take them in advance of sexual activity. They take a little bit of planning, about 30 to 60 minutes, depending on the drug. Um, Cialis, however, can be taken daily because it stays in our system longer. Gotcha. There's about a 55 to 85% response rate, depending on why the erectile dysfunction is present. And most men will tolerate them, but if they have side effects, headache, heartburn, getting red in the face or having a stuffed up nose are kind of the typical symptoms. Um, we discourage men who get uh, chest pain called angina uh, for which they use nitroglycerin um, because that combination can cause a pretty abrupt drop in their blood pressure. And um, if you listen to the ad- advertisements or read the, the packaging, it talks about blindness and deafness. And so I bring it up. Um, these are very, very rare. And then finally, this prolonged erection as a result of taking this medication is also very uncommon, but, yeah. but we list it because it's, it's specific to this class. Okay. After that, um, things get a little bit more technical. 
we can teach men to inject uh, medications directly into the penis. This bypasses the need for uh, the medication to get absorbed and then circulate. Um, not all men are comfortable using an insulin type needle to put medicine into the penis. Right. That said, these are potent. They're very effective. And with an injection within five to 10 minutes, men can have a very rigid erection oh, wow. that it lasts anywhere from like 20 minutes to an hour plus. Um, it takes a little bit of training. It's usually done in the doctor's office where mm -hmm. we will give the first injection. And it takes a little bit of trial and error to find the correct dose. Um, but many men will use these injections for many years, as long as they're comfortable giving themselves a needle. Right. Um, most people have no side effects other than the pain of the needle. You can get some bruising, of course. Um, Long-term uh, scarring in the shaft of the penis, which which could lead to lead to some curvature, uh, can happen. Though I, I've seen that very very uncommonly. Mm. The erection that lasts too long is a more common side effect of, of injections. And so what I usually say to men is if you get greedy and give yourself too much of this medication, mm -hmm. that will, will, will essentially buy you a trip to the emergency room where an antidote medication will have to be injected. The next thing that we can consider is a vacuum penis pump. And, and this is an external mechanical device. And, and simply put, it's a cylinder into which a man places his soft penis. And with a hand pump or an electric pump, it pulls the air out of the cylinder, creating a vacuum, which pulls blood into the, the, the penis, um, making the penis hard. And then a, a tight ring or band is placed at the base of the penis and traps the blood inside. In my experience, 50-50. Yeah. People either like it or they hate it. Um, it's safe. It's external. There's, there's no systemic side effects. Mm -hmm. um, men will complain, though, that the penis feels cold um, or that the ring is too tight or when they climax, ejaculation feels obstructed because of the ring. Right. The next thing um, is implant surgery. And while surgery seems like a, a big deal or something that people haven't heard about, it, it was developed 50 years ago. So it's not a new technology. Um, other than advances in the materials and certain minor modifications, this procedure ha has remained pretty similar in that time span. And, and I will say that it, it actually achieves all the check marks of the ideal treatment that we talked about. Um, in my practice over the last couple of years, probably 80 or 90% of men have their surgery as an outpatient, meaning they come, come and go the same day of the operation. Mm -hmm. In general, the first couple of weeks are, are what I would call real downtime, where there is some, some swelling and, 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 and people stay pretty close to home. And then by week four to six, most people have resumed kind of a normal sense of well-being. And most men are free to use the implant at four to six weeks. And, and what these devices are is um, prosthetic devices that we place inside the body, um, meaning nothing is on the outside. And they essentially replace the hydraulic system, your own hydraulic system, which right now is a, a blood flow system as we discussed 
with a, a prosthetic system that's filled with salt water. And, and, and so in the deflated position, the penis is soft. Mm-hmm. And then a man activates the uh, erection by, by, by squeezing a pump, which is about the size of a testicle, um, through the skin of the scrotum. The pump gets put in the sac. And, and squeezing that pump pulls some salt water um, from a, a little reservoir, and it fills the cylinders, and the erection forms. It stays up until a man is finished. It gets as hard as he wants. It stays up. And when he's finished, there's a small deflate button. Um, this has a, a 90 plus percent satisfaction rate, which wow. is actually higher than hip and knee replacement. Mm-hmm. And we know how many hip and knee replacements there are. Yeah. Um, and, and it actually has a, a similarly high partner satisfaction rate, meaning um, the partners of men who have implants would also recommend it to to other couples who are who are struggling with this same problem of erectile dysfunction. Interesting. Um, I do want to add one other thing, just that that some of the listeners may see in terms of advertisements in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a new treatment that is is offered in most communities, um, and it's called shockwave therapy or acoustic wave treatment for erectile dysfunction. Um, as urologists, we've used shockwaves for decades to break kidney stones. Um, this is not an FDA-approved treatment, but I think it's important that people understand what it is. Shockwaves can actually cause damage, and in the penis, they cause a microvascular damage. But we also think that they stimulate um, the stem cells that are in the, in the penile tissue. And so when we cause damage to the blood vessels and then stimulate the stem cells, we may actually get some repair uh, of function. And, and so there are clinics. Um, I do some treatment in my office as well. Um, even though it's not FDA approved, it's, it's non-invasive and it's, it's, it's safe. Um, we will treat some men and the response rate is about 80%. And that means that a man's uh, response to a treatment or his baseline function may improve. It's out there. It's expensive, however, um, yeah. and the, the treatment protocols aren't standardized, but, but I, I just want people to know about it as well. Mm-hmm. We'll be back with more on erectile dysfunction right after this short break. This season of His Health is sponsored by Boston Scientific. Did you know that diabetes, heart disease, and prostate cancer procedures can contribute to erectile dysfunction? Many men aren't aware of this or of all the treatment options that a board-certified urologist can offer. Understand your options and learn where you can find an ED specialist to help. Visit edcure.org to get the facts and find a urologist who can offer treatment options that work when pills and injections don't. Again, that's edcure.org. And for more information about Boston Scientific, visit bostonscientific.com.
Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with our guest, Dr. Kwan, and we're talking about erectile dysfunction. In your professional experience, what treatment do you usually recommend first? Um, in addition to lifestyle changes, we, we usually start with the pills, and, and most men will prefer that approach. And do those, uh, do the pills, are those covered under insurance or, um, or any of the other treatments? Um, I, I wish I could say that it's getting better than a couple years ago. Um, but it, it's not really, you know, with regards to the pills, um, fortunately we have the two generics, uh, sildenafil and tadalafil. And they can become quite inexpensive. And, and there's a couple of websites which um, men can visit and download a coupon that they take to their pharmacist for, to, to lower the cost to, to, to very inexpensive prices. Um, injections, uh, there are a couple of commercially available pharmaceutical injections that, that tend to be quite expensive that occasionally are covered by insurance, but most injections that we prescribe come from compound pharmacies. Compound pharmacies, uh, how I describe them, mix potions and lotions. So we can prescribe a certain mixture of medications. And unfortunately, compound pharmacies uh, are not covered by most insurance plans. And, and depending on the pharmacy, the drug, and the amount of medication, um, it'll be about eight to $20 per dose. Vacuum pumps run two to $600, um, whether you get a medical grade one or obtain it from an online or adult store. They often qualify for health savings or, or flexible savings accounts. Okay. Um, surgery and implants, um, for insured men, uh, some insurance companies will cover them. Many of them have it as an exclusion, meaning it's a definite no. Mm. Uh, we don't operate unless we get authorization. Many people are surprised to learn that Medicare covers penile implants. And, 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 and I'm grateful for that because I think it's a, it's a really important tool in my toolbox to mm -hmm. manage men with erectile dysfunction. And, and, and in my experience, men who use Medicare as their primary coverage, who then have a secondary uh, insurance plan, um, often have very little uh, out-of-pocket costs. One of my patients said, "All I paid for was parking," um, and <laughs> and so so implant surgery can be very expensive, um, but you know, in that Medicare scenario, it can actually be for some people a, a, a reasonable option. Cash pay options are also available. There's usually some hoops to jump through, you know, if if the implant's not covered. Yeah. Well, it's definitely great to have a, a quite a few options to choose from. Sure. Now we've covered a lot of the ways that to correct ED once a man has it, but what can a man do to prevent ED from happening? Well, just as we learned in medical school, when it comes to heart disease, and I keep coming back to that, uh, there are the modifiable and the unmodifiable risk factors. You know, we can't change our gen genetics. We can't change that we're getting older. Um, like I said, that's the march of life and it will happen no matter what. Mm -hmm. uh, but we can change our lifestyles, what we eat, how we live. Um, we can stop smoking if we smoke. We can 
do all the things to prevent diabetes if we can help it. Um, it's hard to prevent prostate cancer. And so some men have to have the treatment for prostate cancer, but we can have a discussion with our urologist about the best treatment for prostate cancer and ways to potentially avoid erectile dysfunction. Um, my general advice when it comes to lifestyle, because that's how we can prevent it is, is for men to start where they are, acknowledge the path that they've taken to this point and, and kind of let go of the failures and the missed opportunities. And, and when we're going to make changes to our habits, we have to take them in incremental steps. Um, significant and drastic habit changes usually fail. And so I, I tell people, make a, make a goal to change a habit enough that it'll make a difference, but also no more than you can do 80% of the time. So you wanna be 80% successful. And once you've achieved that, you then pick a new habit and it's the layering on over and over and over again of, mm -hmm. of those new habits that move us in the right direction. Because rarely is it a single thing that causes erectile dysfunction. All of those things occur in many of the men in terms of risk factors. And yeah. so it's unlikely that a single thing will fix it or prevent it. Mm -hmm. So healthier lifestyles. Absolutely. So for someone who actually might be experiencing these uh, conditions with ED and thinking about visiting you for the first time and feeling anxious, what can they expect from their appointment? Um, it's usually a brief history of the problem, what they've tried, what are their goals, medical history, medication history, surgery, whether they've had radiation, often a brief exam. We'll consider some blood work, maybe hormones, prostate screening, um, checking for cholesterol or diabetes if that hasn't been done. Mm -hmm. And um, and then we talk about treatment at that point, what, what, what we can do for starting at that point. Do you recommend a man bring his partner to the appointment? Um, I certainly encourage it if it's important uh, to that man and his partner because ED is a couple's condition, but it's also a personal condition. and. And so I leave it up to men. Um, sometimes I will request that they bring their partner, especially if we're going to be talking about surgery. Um, but I also think that sometimes it's helpful to uh, see men on their own. Um, it's also helpful though in couples where there's been tension. I think it's helpful for partners to see that they're, the men in their life are getting help for a problem, that it's not about the partner and them not being attracted to the partner. And it can actually relieve some tension in the bedroom. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, before we wrap up today's discussion and get to a couple of our social questions, is there anything else that you'd like to add to let our audience know about erectile dysfunction or about seeing a urologist for the first time with these issues? Yeah, you know, men aren't alone as we started out with this conversation, um, even though it can feel pretty desperate and that there's no options, um, urologists are, are equipped with a toolbox, a whole toolbox to help, not just a, a pill, not just a shot or not just surgery. And, and, and so it's rare that we can't find a solution to restore a man's ability to have an erection and, and in, in turn, a healthy, you know, sexual life after that. And, and, and I think critical to that is, is actually finding a practitioner who's interested in treating sexual dysfunction. And I know that's not always easy, 
-hmm. but we're out there and we're willing to help. And, and it's, it's achieving that healthy sexual function that makes my job rewarding every day. Wonderful. Well, let's get to some social questions. Uh, Greg from Twitter asks, I have diabetes, which is controlled, but I haven't had much success with the ED pills I've been using. What would you recommend I try next? Well, uh, again, a lot of it depends on Greg's age and how long he was diabetic and if he has a history of poor control. But I commend him for having good control now because I know that that's very difficult. And, and men who have good control now will, will tend to respond better to their treatments now. But even men with good control will not respond to certain things because sometimes the damage has already been done. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so Greg falls into a difficult situation. Pills are effective in diabetic men only about 55% of the time. And, and as I mentioned earlier, diabetic men are harder for us to treat. And so, so Greg, probably should see a urologist, somebody that has a, a bigger toolbox here. And, and he might want to consider things like injections, a vacuum pump, or, or even a penile implant. Um, and, and then we did talk about shockwave therapy, but I don't want yeah. to, you know, go on further than that. And so, so more just knowing that I think he needs a further workup um, and a broader discussion about the other options that aren't just pills. Great. And Dave from Instagram asks, I smoked for many years when I was younger. Could this be the cause of my ED? It may not be the only cause, uh, but it, it certainly could have had some impact on his vascular health. Um, I remember someone saying smoking is that thing that if you, if you use it as directed, it will have you know, the prescribed outcome. And, and so we know that smoking um, impairs vascular function. It makes the blood vessels stiff. It, it increases the hardening of the arteries or the atherosclerosis. And, and those are the processes that happen. It depends how long he smoked. It depends when he stopped. It would depend on other risk factors, um, family history, diet, obesity, um, diabetes, cholesterol, those would other be other factors, which may or may not be an issue here. Well, Jared from Facebook asks, my doctor suggested trying the shots for ED, but I'm terrified of putting a needle down there. Does it hurt? Um, I can't say personally, but uh, you know, not everybody wants a shot down there and, and I can recommend this to some men and I just have to see their initial reaction and know that we are never going to give them an injection. So, so I don't force injections on anyone. Mm -hmm. That said, um, most men are surprised that the shot's not as bad as they're worried about. Needles cause a burn and sting when they go through the skin. Um, it's a small needle. It's a bit like, it's, it's like an insulin needle. It tends not to be too painful. I will say that one of the component medicines that we put in the injections uh, can cause some achiness or a throbbing in the shaft of the penis in about 20% of men. Um, the beauty of compound pharmacing, pharmacy is that we can actually uh, take that medication out if that happens. And so, so men can still get the same response of getting an erection, mm 
mm-hmm. without this component that causes achiness. So we can we can redesign the injection to reduce the side effect. And so so once people get over the initial hurdle of doing the shot, uh, most people are fine. For people that are nervous about the initial jab of doing the needle, uh, we can also order an, an auto injector where you preload the syringe and place it and then just push the button and the injector, which is spring-loaded, does the shot for you. Wow, lots of options. Yeah. Well, Ben asks from Instagram, Viagra didn't work for me. Are the oral medications to treat ED different? Is it possible one of the others would work better for me or do I need to try a different treatment? We we don't have any specific head-to-head studies where the results will say that one medication A versus B versus C versus D is better than the other. And for every guy that tells me that Cialis is better than Viagra, I have someone that says that Viagra is better than Cialis. Mm-hmm. Um, Within every class of medication, there is going to be a variable response. And so, so some men are going to respond better to one than the other, just like some men are going to have more side effects with one than the other. Um, I think if, if Ben is telling us that Viagra didn't work, I would first say he should have tried it at least five or six times. That's important before we say that he has failed Viagra. Mm -hmm. He should be taking it on an empty stomach if possible. It it allows for better absorption. Um, It absorbs more poorly if he's eaten a fatty meal. And then, as I said, he's got to be in the mood and he's got to stimulate. And so those are sometimes things that simply telling men that they can fine tune how they take it that medication might actually start working and also making sure that he's used the maximum dose that's allowed. And so I think that making those changes or trying one of the other ones um, may be a simple solution before he has to go to injections or some of the other treatments we've discussed. Gotcha. And now Lisa asks, this is our last question from Facebook. If my husband gets a vasectomy, can that cause issues with ED later? I, I would categorically say no. As, as a direct cause of vasectomy, I do not think that that can cause erectile dysfunction. And, and, and specifically, when I counsel men about vasectomy, and I do a fair number of them, I, I make a point to tell men that erectile dysfunction is not a side effect. Um, when we do the vasectomy, we only cut the vas deferens. The testicle continues to produce testosterone, which is an important factor in sex drive and erections. And so men should not, in, should not experience a change in erections, sex drive, orgasm, or ejaculation. Um, when they do, I invite those men to come back and chat. Um, and there are some reasons for that, usually things that are very easy to treat, not specifically related to the vasectomy. Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Kwan for joining us today on His Health, our friends at Boston Scientific for sponsoring the show, and to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We look forward to continuing the conversation on men's health with more experts from Providence in future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio and our Future of Health Radio or on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to follow us on social media. 
where we can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission, programs, and services, go to Providence.org. Thank you for listening and be healthy.